about the reality that your life, in fact, is a life of influence. That you are a person, if you're living, breathing, and able to speak, guess what? You're a person who has great influence in other people's lives. And I feel like many people underestimate the power of their influence, that power they have to influence another life, either in the positive or in the negative. A lot of people don't think they have much influence at all. But the reality is that each one of us in this room present this morning actually has great influence. And we can either influence lives in an incredible way or we can influence lives in a very negative way. As a follower of Jesus, you are designed to have influence wherever you go. You're designed to expand the kingdom of God and see the advancement of the kingdom of God wherever you go to see Christ become famous. Therefore, you have been designed by God to have influence in the world wherever you go. The way you act, the way you behave has greater influence than perhaps you maybe have stopped and realized. Now, parenting has taught me this. Parenting teaches you an awful lot of things, but it's taught me about the influence that I carry. My children speak how I speak. Uh Uh-oh. They reflect the culture that I have set in my home. Is that a scary thought for anyone else at all? They treat their mother and speak to their mother how I treat and speak to her, which is clearly exemplary. But that realization alone is a big revelation to me about the kind of influence that God has given humankind. That he's actually placed in our hands this incredible ability to influence each other in the positive or in the negative. I have great influence over my children through the way I act and the way I behave. It's true in friendships. It's true in your workplace with those who are with you and you are with each and every day. Your actions... Your words have great influence in people's lives. As a witness of Christ in our world, that influence is something to really consider and really ponder. In fact, thinking about the world today, and the state of the world today, your influence matters more than ever. Your influence for Christ is imperative in the world right now. Wherever God has you placed, whatever you do day to day, your influence matters in a great way. Paul the Apostle was able to recognize his influence that he had, not only as a Christian leader, and we read it throughout Scripture, but also as a spiritual father. In fact, he was able to, with confidence, say, imitate me. Those words are powerful, are they not? If Paul the Apostle can actually have the confidence and the courage in his own life having reflected on who he is to say, imitate me, he had some things right. Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14 to 16. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me you want to put yourself in the text today and consider Paul's life and your own, you can put father or mother in there. Spiritual father or spiritual mother. And he's able to say, imitate me. I urge you, imitate me. When I first read that passage, I read it a number of times. I find that a challenging thought. Could I say, could Carl say, imitate me to others? 
Could I say that for all of my life? Imitate every part of who I am because it's all good and it's all godly. Some of my life or none of my life? Interesting question to ask. We've been talking recently over recent weeks about grow. What is a grow area in my life? If I have parts of my life that I would not want others to imitate me in, that's a good place to start and allow God access to to bring train, change and transformation into my life. If there are parts of my life where I'm saying, please don't imitate the way I speak, or don't imitate the way I act, or don't imitate the way I treat people, if there are areas that you could name where you would say, I'd be embarrassed to say to somebody, imitate this part of my life, that might be a good place for you to allow the Spirit of God in and allow God access to to maybe bring some transformation. I won't name all the areas of my life, but there are areas in my life when I consider that, that I go, man, I'm not sure if I would want people to imitate that aspect of my character or my life. God, you need to help me change. Listen to how Paul puts it when he writes to Timothy. He's just recognized that he's more than a Christian leader. He's a father in the faith. And Timothy is his spiritual son. And Paul has recognized he's a father in the faith and writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, about how to set a life of influence. And I think this is still prudent for us today because we're all called to live a life of influence. It wasn't only Timothy who could live a life of influence, though he was a pastor and a leader. That's true for all of us as ministers wherever we go, that we are going to live lives of influence and influence people in a godly way. So Paul writes to Timothy and says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, just a quick note this morning. The word youth here is not the same as we would use in our culture and context today. In the Greek, it meant growing up or military age, extending up to the age in the 40th year. It's believed that Timothy was around about 30 years old when he received this. Paul is urging Timothy to be an example The word in Greek for that is typos, which is where we get the word type, meaning a figure or an image, an example or a pattern for others to follow. In other words, Timothy, you to live a life in in such a way that people will follow it. What's the pattern of your life? What's the image of your life? What's the example of your life to others? And that same challenge can apply to us today if we want our lives to influence people with the gospel of hope and who Jesus is. If we want to make a difference in the world, the example, the pattern of our life, the way we live will open up great conversations for us with other people. Paul is speaking to the importance of the Christian influence that Timothy had. That same influence applies to you and I today. And Paul writes a list of things for Timothy to set an example in. And we could see this as a random list that Paul gives. I don't know how Paul wrote this or how much Paul considered this or whether it was just a list of some random things that Paul thought of, but I believe it's more than that. I believe there's a genius in the order in the way that Paul writes this. I don't think there are many accidents, if any, actually, in the Scripture. I think there's an order to it all. And so the list kind of matters. I don't think that speech is by accident the first thing that Paul says. We might think love should be listed as the first one, because love is the greatest. But Paul starts with speech. Let's briefly look at each one this morning. See if we can discover some genius in the order. We might not. It might just be me that thinks it's there, but 
Let's see how we go. The first thing Paul says is, set an example for the believers in speech. Influences watch what comes out of their mouths. See, the mouth represents the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I've said this before, but words are not just for communication. They are for creation. God himself spoke creation into being. So our words are for more than information. They're for creation. Our words carry influence. We know our words have power when we speak to one another. You've either been on the receiving end of encouragement, which has built you up, or on something negative, which has pulled you down. We have the power to build up and the power to tear, to tear down, the power to bring life and the power to bring death into people's lives. That's an incredible weight that God has given us, the power of our words to influence each other. Look around those in your life hard enough. Take a genuine look at your relationships and you'll see the results of some of your spoken words. Let me ask you this question. Are we cutting and cruel, hurtful, negative and gossip? Or are we loving and caring and encouraging and careful with the words that come out of our mouth? Words are powerful. The Bible says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. To be someone of influence in the positive, I must choose my words and my tone very carefully. Because what I say and how I say it creates a positive result or a negative result. We cannot afford to be loose with our words. Words either give confidence, security someone, or they create uncertainty. I know this to be true in my own life and in my own childhood growing up. The words that were spoken to me or over me either created a a great sense of insecurity and uncertainty or a sense of certainty and security. The way we speak to each other and the tone we use gives somebody confidence or undermines their confidence. And Paul in his genius put speech first because he knows how much our words actually set the course for our entire life and determine the actions and the steps we take. James 3, verse 4 to 6, partway through, it says, Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Controlling one's speech is actually pretty important. Controlling what comes out of one's mouth is really important because it has an influence over one's entire life, and in the end can actually corrupt the whole body. Our speech, what we say How we say it makes a huge difference into whether we influence somebody in the positive or influence them in the negative. And Paul is understanding, writing to Timothy, be very careful how you speak to people. Set an example in the way you speak and in the way you talk. Then he moves on to the second thing, which is conduct. My actions must match my words or we lose all credibility. If we're not mindful, we can misrepresent ourselves with our words 
Because we're saying one thing and doing a whole other thing. Now, children see this as a major hypocrisy, and they see it a mile away. Is anyone with me? You're telling me not to do something that I see you doing all the time. My words don't match my actions. And people see through that straight away. And you lose your credibility and you lose your influence. It's called saying one thing and doing another. Paul's urging here, and the genius in the order is that when your words and actions both align, you have great influence with people. It's called integrity. And people see that his words or her words match their actions. They believe what they say. It's not just lip service. It's a belief because they act and live out what they are exclaiming and believe. A lot is received verbally. We also communicate a lot through our conduct, the way we behave. Your ways must match your words. If you're going to demand someone to be kind, you must be kind. If you demand people be encouraging, then you must be encouraging. If you want people to serve, then you must be a servant. If you want others to behave, then you must behave. Like if he's talking to Timothy, he's talking to me. If Carl, if you want people to be kind, don't tell them to be kind. Be kind. Like your actions and your words must align. Recognize what I say and what I do has great influence on other people. And then he lists love as the third thing. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is third in the list. In other words, Paul says, I can speak, about, speak, I can speak well, you can conduct yourself well, but if you do all those things and you do not have love, it's just religious action and behavior and it's not authentic. Without love, it is simply a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal and it won't last. In other words, now that I've talked to you about your behavior, let me talk to you about what makes it sustainable and possible. Love is what makes it sustainable and possible. What motivates us to action is love. What sustains your example is love. You can speak well, conduct yourself well, but without love, you really have nothing. My love for people is determined by the depth of my love for God. The closer I am to the Lord, the greater my capacity to love others. So it's speech, it's conduct, it's love, and then it's faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Paul is encouraging Timothy to have great faith. This ability to believe for and in what is not yet even seen with natural eyes. Live with complete confidence in eternity. Not yet seen, but living with a complete conviction that eternity is real. Faith. Noah is a great example of this. He built an ark to escape a flood before a cloud had even formed in the sky. Faith. God had spoken. He trusted the word of God. He stepped out in faith. There wasn't any rain to back up what God had said to him. He had to believe in what was unseen from the voice of God and trust in God. Abraham offered his son Isaac as an offering in obedience to the Lord's request 
before a substitute was given. Before the ram ever turned up in the thicket, Abraham had laid his son and was about to murder his or kill his son on God's request when God arranges a substitute. But he had to walk in obedience to God, seeing no way out of the situation. Faith. He's saying to Timothy, have unwavering trust in what God has said. Planning Selwyn for us as a church was very much faith. We felt it was God. We felt we were being obedient to God, but we didn't know what it was going to be like when we stepped out in faith and did it. That's what it is to have faith. Great faith is to trust God at his word, even when you're not yet seeing the result. Trust in God. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. People of great influence have great faith, but faith is developed. It begins with simple steps of faith and simple steps of trust and obedience. Like a muscle, it is developed and it is strengthened. My own experience is faith is strengthened by taking the small obedient steps one after another. Last week in our Giving Sunday for many was one of those moments of again exercising our faith muscle by again taking an obedient step to God. You don't jump out and plant a campus as your first, first faith step. You build your faith by making obedient step after obedient step trusting God in the small things and building your faith and strengthening your faith over time. It's taking God at his word before you see the fulfillment of the promise or see a breakthrough. Listen to this one in scripture, given it will be given to you. See, for me, the genius is in the order of that because we would like it to be given to me first and then I'll give out of what you've given to me, but it's not. It's give and it will be given to you. We exercise our faith first. Each time we trust God and step out in faith, we build our faith muscle. Set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and then he finishes off with one last word. And that word is a word we will all love. It's the word purity. Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, purity is won and lost in the mind. So Paul understands the power of the mind. He understands the importance of what it is that you and I are actually thinking on. See, that's why having a strong word life and worship life is vitally important important. What I think on will ultimately be what I speak about, which will shape the way I behave, which will affect the way I love God and in the end love people, which will have an impact on my faith and trust in God and ultimately determine the purity of my heart. That's why I think genius is in the order. And it's a cycle. What I think on will determine my purity. Let's take the story of King David for a moment, 2 Samuel chapter 11. David cannot sleep, and so he's up walking around on the rooftop. This is a bit of a crazy story, but he looks over and he sees Bathsheba bathing. Well, 
if you can see someone bathing from your rooftop, we have a problem already, but he spies Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, bathing, and David sends a messenger to go and get her. And as you read that story, it's not an accidental mistake that David makes to sleep with Uriah's wife. It's not like, well, it was an accident. I didn't mean it to happen. No, no, David was walking on the rooftop when he saw a very beautiful woman bathing. And for me, that moment where David won or lost the battle was in his mind. If David had gone, help, I better go back to bed. I better think on scripture. I better write another worship song. I better have a moment with God. Perhaps he doesn't sleep with Bathsheba. But David entertains the thought in his mind and the battle to sleeping with her was won and lost in his mind. He lost it in his mind before he ever acted on it or spoke about it because then he says, go and bring her to me. He's already justified in his mind his sin before it ever happened. Our purity battle for you and I, and it's still true today, is won and lost in our minds. Before we make mistakes, before we sin, before we do something willful, we've already in our minds decided whether we should or shouldn't do it. We've already justified the reason in our mind that perhaps this will be okay. Paul is aware of the power of the human mind. A strong word in worship life helps maintain thinking about noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable things. Paul understands why Timothy needs to spend time thinking on the things that will be right in his life. If the message to the mind is right, it will produce purity. If the message to the mind is wrong, it will produce impurity. We must be careful what we listen to. What voices, what messages are you listening to in life today? What is the strongest conversation you are having in your mind? Is it society's voice? Is it the news media? Who is it that has the the loudest voice in your head? We've got to be careful what it is we're listening to because it can become what we think about, which controls what I speak about, which determines how I act, which will affect how much I love God and can love people, which will affect how much I trust God and live in faith, which will lead me either to purity or to impurity. And so it's really careful what we feed our minds. And so that's why preaching and reading your word and listening to worship and worshiping God and being in those moments is so important that that is the main conversation in your mind, that you think on the things that are godly because those things lead to purity. But if I spend all of my time thinking on everything else and I'm not careful or aware, it can lead to impurity. Your life has great influence. The decisions you make, the way you speak, the way you act, the way you love people has huge influence on them. What you think about determines much of the outcomes of your life. That's why I think being in church is the best place you could ever be on a you know, come on Sundays. Be in church. Control your mind. What am I hearing? What am I receiving? Church is a great place to hear the word, to worship God together. Make sure that that which is influencing you will be what influence or leaks out of your life and influences others. Can I have the worship team back up as I come towards the end? As I just said, that's why worship and word are so important. Godly counsel, good people around you, so vitally important. I'm thankful 
for mums and dads of faith. I'm thankful for godly counsel. I'm thankful for people who invest in us, who spend time speaking about the good things, bringing encouragement into our lives, building us up, being consistent. You know what? I'm glad I've received that, and I pray I am that for others. Every single one of us can be that and have that kind of influence in others' lives. If you're not a mum or dad naturally, you can be a mum and dad spiritually. That's what I love about God's family, is that we influence each other. And I feel, as Paul said to Timothy, set an example for the believers and speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. is still a message for us. We influence each other and we influence lives. Having the right influences in your life will help you have the right influence in life. Who you surround yourself with makes a huge difference to the kind of influence you can have in other people's lives. Will you stand with me while I pray this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, it's an incredible thing to understand the influence that you have given us. A great responsibility you've given to us that we can influence each other's lives. God, it's our heart that we would influence people in a God-honoring way. The Holy Spirit, we recognize our need of your help. And so Holy Spirit, we just invite you into our lives again. That your influence in us and through us would be the overflow of our influence toward others. That our example and the way we speak, the way we act, love, believe in faith, and live in purity would have great impact on those around us and on the generations following behind us. We pray as we put the right things in our lives that the right things would leak out. So come, Holy Spirit. In this moment right now, Holy Spirit, would you meet each one of us again? Would you fill each one that's here this morning with fresh faith, fresh hope, a fresh love for the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.